Hi, JLAG listeners. We are Nicola, Sue, and Andrew, three young politics students and international friends passionate about water affairs and eager to share our views on what's going on around the globe at the moment. Please follow us at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also support us via Patreon. We hope you enjoy. Okay, so、uh, hello everyone. Welcome to this new episode of、uh, Jetlagged,、uh, and we are today very, very、uh, excited to have、uh, Roberto here、uh, joining us today uh, as uh, as our guest. Roberto, do you want to briefly introduce yourself? Hi, thanks for having me.、Uh, it's great to be here in the podcast today with with you, Nicolo,、uh, Sue, Andrew. It's really great to be here.、Uh, just to quickly introduce myself, I'm Roberto. I'm from Mexico.、Uh, I did a master's in public policy at UCL,、uh, and I work in political consulting. So that's a nudge what I do. Good. That's、uh, very fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say like, I don't mind jumping in like. What part of Mexico are you from, and what made you decide to go all the way across the world to study in London? Well, I'm I'm from Mexico City. Oh, I'm, city. I'm I'm from Mexico City, and I lived there for pretty much all my life.、Mm-hmm. And I moved to London in 2019. Just like I always wanted to do a master's degree, and I had that in my、mm-hmm. mind. And career-wise, it was a good move. Uh, I was working in Mexican politics at the time, and it was sort of the end of a cycle there. So it it made good sense just to like make the move and and come to come to London. Found this like good program, great school, and then things sort of started happening. And I thought I was going back、Soonies、to Mexico, exactly. But then、uh, opportunities kept opening here, and and here I am. Mm-hmm. And you have also, as you say, you have also been in、um, in politics, right? In Mexico,、uh, what have you done there? Yeah, so I worked for almost four years for a political party called、uh, PAN, P-A-N,、uh, mm-hmm. translates to the National Action Party. It's a center-right party.、Um, the party was in power from year two thousand to two thousand twelve. And since then, it's been in the opposition. So basically, I joined the party as、uh, mm-hmm. like being an opposition party.、Mm-hmm. And what I did, I worked for the outreach part of the party. So what we did was speak to stakeholders、uh, across the political spectrum, and this、mm-hmm. can be like trade unions,、uh, universities, think tanks, just groups from civil society, and we'll try to like listen、mm-hmm. to some of the proposals they had, or ideas they had, or, or policy. Preoccupations、mm-hmm. or things they just wanted to get across, so we would、right. listen to them and see what made sense for us as a party, and then try to translate that into policy that we could put across in Congress.、Um, yeah. That was、right. that was our main, and and I, it's still the party's today main、mm-hmm. tool to to influence pol-、uh, Mexican politics is through Congress because the party's not、mm-hmm. in power, so it's basically、right. through like through. The debate in in both、yeah. in, in Congress and the Senate, so that's. But yeah, with that intro of 
Yeah, guys, let's get the topic. topic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We'll have to cut something here. (laughs) Um, Right, so uh, as you may have uh, kind of understood because of um, Roberto's background, of course, it will be very interesting, especially because of his uh, background in in politics, which is which will be interesting to to hear from you. But today's uh, today's topic a bit kind of off. There are many things happening right now in the world, and um, the attention is probably somewhere else. Most of the attention is somewhere else. But we thought we uh, we would uh, have a chat about uh, what is going on in Mexico, and especially starting from what is usually the most Uh, debated topic around when it comes to Mexico, that is immigration. And uh, of course, uh, immigration now in Mexico is particularly uh, an interesting topic since um, since the, the change of administration in uh, the United States, uh, we moved from Trump to Biden, and that uh, and where immigration is actually a very a very hot topic, uh, especially for Biden when um, he's facing a renewed uh, increase in uh, immigration rates and pressure at the southern border of the the U.S. And he's faced with quite a series of policy policy challenges on that front. And um, that, of course, have a Mexico at its center, but um, hopefully we will see not only Mexico, but kind of broader Central American and South American issues that will have to be in some way um, connected and addressed. So I thought you maybe, um, Roberto, you could start by giving us a snapshot kind of what is going on in, in Mexico or at the borders in terms of migration. What is happening? What is the situation? Sure, I can give a quick snapshot of the uh, yeah, migration. Yeah. As you said, uh, it's a really hot topic now when you speaking about the U.S.-Mexico relation and in general of of the whole region, like the Central American region, the North American region, immigration is without a doubt one of the biggest hot topics that there are. So in a nutshell, what's happening is that there has been an increase in the number of immigrants that are trying to cross the United States. Uh, now, this, and depending what media outlet you see, they have different reasons for it. In reality, this is sort of cyclical. So anytime there's a new administration, there's an influx in, in the number of people that try to cross. I don't know if it's because they want to test the new administration and, and see how they're going to change the, the, the policy focus. But something that happened is that with the Trump administration, there was a big, big interest in law enforcement in the border. And this was communicated like that. So basically what the U.S., uh, what like what the United States government and the State Department communicated towards Mexico and Central America was like, people, do not come because you're not getting in. Like, you're not getting in. We're building a wall. It's not going to mm-hmm. happen. Just stay at home. Don't risk it. And then uh, the U.S., what the U.S. did was put pressure on Mexico. So Mexico would start enforcing immigration law in the southern border. And the southern border of Mexico, it, it's like way, way uh, like shorter than, than the U.S.-Mexico border. So that was a policy before. But with the new Biden administration, there was a shift in language from the administration. It was like, yeah, um, there was some talk about uh, immigration reform 
and and the Biden administration is much more friendly in how it communicates to, to the rest of the world. So if you add that to COVID and crisis, which has been really bad across Central America, and Central America has a big problem with poverty, uh, gang violence, especially in the zone of the Northern Triangle, uh, of the Northern Triangle with uh, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua. So if you put that up in a blender and you click start, then this is what happened. Basically, a lot of people who are fleeing COVID, gang violence and all of this basically saw a shift in, in, in the language and said like, oh, this might be a good moment to try it. Also, because there's no work back home and there's a virus and they have vaccines in the US and the US economy is doing great. So let's just all go. And that's the overall, like the, the, the overarching theme of why we're seeing so many people attempting to cross. And this, like for the past eight or nine years, influx of immigrants just from Mexico to the US uh, was not as big. And, and if you see the numbers, there are some numbers that the net, the net number is uh, negative. That means more people came back to Mexico. But with the COVID crisis, this also changed. So there's a, like a bigger number of Mexicans who are also attempting to cross. So if you add all these things up, basically what you have is a big number of people trying to cross. And that has translated into uh, record apprehensions at the U.S.-Mexico border. And if, for example, if we, if we see the data of, of apprehensions, it's a big spike up. Uh, I believe they are apprehending something uh, like monthly near to 100,000 people. And, and that is a historical high. That's, that's a lot of people. Um, and of course, then you need to put them in a detention center because, and that requires infrastructure and that requires a lot of things that have to be placed, put in place really fast. And that's why we've been seeing some like really horrible images of, of, of detention centers in, in, in the border because it, there's just too many people to handle and the logistics weren't there. And that's like in, in a, in a, like a two minutes how the situation in the border is. It's, I, I would yeah. uh, summarize it like that. Mm-hmm. I feel that this this um, this problem of immigration is um, from a political but also kind of moral perspective such a difficult right. one uh, because oh it really gosh, yes. it really puts you in front of so many questions, especially from the point of view of the policymaker, to really decide you know what should we prioritize, and I think uh, there is really no right answer to uh, to th- this question, which makes it very interesting, but on the other hand, also very dramatic in a sense, because this is not something you only see in in the US or Mexico, but I mean, Europe is, is facing its renewed, uh, as we speak, is facing its uh, renewed uh, uh, immigration crisis in the Mediterranean. And I guess it's also exas- exacerbated by COVID, so uh, that there is a, there is a common thread there. But um, I wanted to ask, so uh, how, so this is kind of on, on the U.S. side, but what is the, um, uh, the approach, Mexico's approach to the issue of what has been and how has it changed the, the approach that Mexico takes to the immigration towards the U.S. and therefore the, the immigration flows and, and the immigration streams that pass through Mexico and that also start from Mexico. And maybe yeah. related to this, what drives, who are the immigrants and what drives migration towards the U.S.? 
Yeah, there are like two really good questions there. Like, who are the immigrants and what is Mexico doing? I'm going to start with the second one. What is Mexico mm-hmm. doing? So for this, in a bit of context, the Mexican president, Lopez Obrador, he had a really good relationship with Donald Trump. And they are sort of... AMLO, uh, right? AMLO, AMLO, exactly. The, and they, he, he had a good relationship with Donald Trump because they speak the same language. So they're both like this populist style. And even if like Donald Trump is a Republican and um, Republicans might, some of the Republicans might debate that, but Donald Trump is a Republican and AMLO is from a leftist party. So you would say like, hmm, that doesn't add up. But actually it does because they both have like this similar style of talking and they have this similar trend to just wanting to walk over institutions like nobody is going to do anything. So they have that in common. So what Mexico wanted to do is have a peaceful relation with Donald Trump. So if Donald Trump wants Mexico to do something in the border, we're going to do it. And what Mexico did was send in the National Guard. This is a militarized National Guard. Uh, they sent it to the southern border to detain immigrants and kick them back to, to Guatemala. So that was the Mexican, that was the Mexican approach. Mm-hmm. And there have been attempts to sort of tackle the issue, and with this I'm going to connect to the second question, of why so many people are, are attempting to cross from Central America. So there's a big conversation in what can uh, Mexico and the U.S. and other countries do to stop people from coming? And you are asking, who are these people? Well, these people, uh, like if we talk from, from Central American uh, immigrants, so most of them have... Um, they come from, from a poor background. So these are people that have been pushed to leave their hometowns because there's no work. And then they've been migrating to the cities of Central America. But cities in Central America are full with uh, gang violence. So because of that, some of these people actually have been threatened because they, they are pushed to join a gang or to engage in some type of, of illegal activity. And people say, like, no, I'm not going to do it. And they flee. And for people that have to do that, they actually, like a lot of them, apply for refugee status when they get to Mexico. And and um, the UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, they do an amazing work at, at trying to look after these people. And it's great they do it because the Mexican government doesn't. Uh, and they're just stranded in cities in the south of the, of the country. That's from Central America. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not from Central America myself, so it's... Uh, like it's difficult to add more than the big right. picture there. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to Mexico, uh, so people that migrate in Mexico have traditionally come from some of the poorest states in, in, in the country. And now something that happens is that there are communities that are, that are in the U.S. from certain states. So New York City has a big population from the state of Puebla. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Chicago has a big population from people of, of, of Michoacán. And in L.A., there's a big, big, big Mexican community from all over the place. Basically, what happens is family just call another family and say, like, hey, you should come. This is great. Um, mm-hmm. We're working. We got a gig doing uh, carpentry, plumbing. Uh, the so-called pool factor. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 that drives people to, to go. And reality is that they, I mean, there was a crisis with COVID, but before they were getting jobs that were well paid and paid better than what they would get in Mexico. So what they do is they go, they aim to be there. There's like this, the migrant dream of a Mexican uh, is like to go to the U.S., make some money, uh, send money back to your family to build a house. Mm-hmm. 
And once they do that, they want to come back because they miss their homes yeah. and, and, they, and they want to be back. So in these towns, you can see that houses being built uh, like step by step and they add uh, they call them the like the beams of hope because you can see like the beams of the structure that are not completed and they leave it there because they say like, no, 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 in another year, we're going to do another floor and, mm-hmm. and we're going to complete the house. And that's actually that's that's some of the people that, that go that, mm-hmm. that migrate. I have a question because I'm just interested in the immigrants. As they enter the border and by unlawful ways, like they are not documented or um, they are actually, you know, go through the border and it's lawful. And now what we are doing is just strict the rules, like not everybody can go through easily. No, I would say it's it's um, illegal immigration mostly. Um, Yeah, there are some who cross uh, legally. And these ones are especially the ones that know that they can apply for refugee status. So for them, uh, they just, what, the only thing they need to do is cross the border, get to an immigration agent and say, uh, I want to apply for refugee status. And immediately, because of, because of, of international conventions, that grants them protection. And, okay. and they do this same thing in the US. So there's a lot of people that cross the border illegally. And then they go look for the border patrol. Uh, like okay. they want to be, they, they, they want to be seen. And when the border patrol gets there, they just say, I'm applying for, like, I'm a refugee and I need to apply for refugee status. And, and that's something that, that a lot of people do. But mostly there are a lot of illegal crossings. And then they just try to find a way to cross the, the country, which is a lengthy, dangerous trip to mm-hmm. cross if you're an undocumented immigrant. There is the famous train, no? La Bestia? Right. Yes, yes, they take that, tra- that train takes them from the southern tip of the country all the way to the U.S. border. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where does it begin? Panama or? The train, the train, mm-hmm. the train begins in, there's a city in, in, in Chiapas, mm-hmm. a, like the capital of Chiapas is called Tuxla Gutierrez. Uh, mm-hmm. and around that area, the train, the train begins. And then, right. uh, it goes all the way, like, towards Mexico City, and then it splits again towards, uh, like, the north part of the country. Oh, no, I know, like, one of my close friends who used to be a, not a guidance counselor at a Title I high school, like a low, uh, low income high school in Charlotte, North Carolina, and hundreds of students in the school, uh, crossed into North Carolina and other states and southeast, even in Texas, through the La Bestia from mm-hmm. Central America. But I was meaning to ask oh, Roberto, and I'm I'm not sure if you are well aware, but Title Forty Two Title Forty Two was put in place in March twentieth of last year to by the states to put in pose um uh blocking of immigrants coming into the United States because of COVID nineteen chemical disease. So Trump imposed this saying, now I'm not gonna let in any asylum seekers and Biden hasn't hasn't changed any yeah. policies on that. What were your thoughts on that? Like, yeah, that I think that, that has created like a bottleneck in the border right. because people mm-hmm. are. It's confu- It's confusing. Exactly. It's confusing, and of course, like people have the right to seek asylum. Right. So the way they do it now, and it's really confusing for them, as far as I know, is that they need to get to the border and say they want to request asylum. 
and then they need to start processing their asylum while they're still in Mexico. Uh, so, so it's some sort of strange agreement they have uh, with Mexican the authorities. Because remain in Mexico policy, is it called? Yes, exactly. They they yeah. they remain in Mexico while they're processing asylum. Um, yeah. But it's difficult because a, a normal asylum seeker would have to go to court hearings and and present like the case and and so on and so on. And now mm-hmm. they're they're stuck in Mexico with few legal support, uh, no clear idea of what the process is. And, and, and usually they're stuck at I mean they're stuck at the border border areas, right? Yes. Right. Which, yeah, which they, they, become quite criminal as well. Yeah, they they're they're not in the best conditions uh there and, and Mexican authorities have to really step up to to protect these people because mm-hmm. they're they're just there and what we have seen unfortunately in my view is that a lot of xenophobia has emerged in in northern cities in Mexico of people that start mm-hmm. saying things like who are these Central Americans and why are they here and um right. same style of, of messages like they're taking our jobs and they are mm-hmm. uh Exactly the same sentiment in southern Texas, Arizona. Across the world. Yes. <laughs> it's um but yeah, I guess there are a lot of dramatic stories if you look into the detail. Um but but zooming out a bit to kind of the more the, the again the more political context, I wanted to ask you uh, I, I was reading that um AMLO, the president, was campaigned on a on a manifesto of uh, campaigned on the idea of um, you know um, cr- um, getting Mexico to stop uh, doing the America's dirty job in a sense of uh, you know uh, stopping this kind of uh, um, uh, uh, Mexico uh, having this role of um, being kind of this dam uh, for America. And I've read this interesting pa- paper on America outsourcing its uh, its border control to Mexico and to southern states. Um, and I was thinking, to what I mean, to what extent do you do you agree that actually uh, the president uh, Obrador is uh, is actually you know committing on that? That is, uh, is a Mexico is Mexico doing the U.S. dirty job in a sense, or is Mexico <laughs> trying to emancipate itself? <laughs> no, I'm 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 going to summarize it with one with one one phrase. So Donald Trump wanted to build a wall. And he wanted Mexico to pay for it. And he succeeded. Uh, so if, if we hold Trump accountable for his promises, that's something we should say he succeeded because what ended up happening is Mexico is using its national guard and Mexico has a ton of security issues and a ton of things that national guard could be used for. Like, for example, tackling a drug crime and drug criminals and drug cartels who are like this multinational organizations with links to the most dangerous criminals in the world. So instead of using a new National Guard, which is highly trained uh, by the military, instead of using it for that, they're using it to chase uh, refugee uh, seekers and immigrants in the southern border. And you see images of like this heavily armed uh, uh, elements of the National Guard chasing women and children and, and like really appalling images. So, in a way, Mexico became the wall because we're using a National Guard that we desperately need to take on organized crime. 
and we're using it to chase immigrants who are fleeing horrible situations in Central America. So I would say that he has not delivered in that promise. He actually started doing the the dirty job uh, in a in a really horrible, dirty way, which is. And, and if you look for it, you'll find some really horrible images of the National Guard just chasing women and children uh, down the road and apprehending them. And this even goes to a point that in Mexico, we complain a lot of how sometimes ICE and the Border Patrol treat Mexican immigrants. And in reality, Mexican authorities do exactly the same with, with Central mm-hmm. Americans. The only difference is that all the human rights organizations uh, who are big in media are focused on the U.S.-Mexico border because that's more profitable for them to, to focus on, on, on that. And it's all, I guess, like for some media outlets, even in pays out, just always speak of like the U.S. of the, as a big, mean wolf, the bad of the, of the story and this sort of, 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 of narratives. But in reality, Mexican authorities treat immigrants, I would even say worse than, mm-hmm. than what happens with ICE and some of these detention centers. Mm-hmm. This really reminds me of Turkey. Um, in a sense, I think what you see in Mexico is, is similar to what is happening in, in, in Turkey and the, Europe, the relationship between Turkey and the European Union, where you have Turkey as this kind of dam that the European Union is using uh, to stop millions sometimes of refugees from Syria, Syria and the Middle East yeah. and you know, the war in, in, with ISIS and, and everything to come to the EU and And this, however, I mean, the EU is pouring, pouring millions, if not billions, into uh, Erdogan's uh, wallet uh, in order to, for Erdogan to keep uh, the Syrians at bay. And I don't know how they're doing it, but probably not up to international standards. Uh, the issue, I feel, is that you get these people, which probably that's where it differs from Mexico, but you get people like Erdogan, um, who is a disputable person, to, uh, to have a lot of power over the European Union, because in this sense, he has a bargaining chip. He has, he has some leverage uh, over the European Union to say, you know, you just stop, stop giving me the money, you say something about, you know, the, my political system or the way I do things, and I'll just open the dam and you get all these Syrians and you have to deal with it. Uh, and um, so, so to what extent, I mean, do, do you think you, we could say the same thing with Mexico that is increasing its leverage over the U.S. in a sense? I mean, in a way, that could be happening. Uh, but the difference is that uh, the, the EU pours a ton of like development funds to Turkey. And that's not the case with the U.S.-Mexico relation. Like the U.S.-Mexico relation is mainly a like now it's a business relation because what Canada, the US and Mexico have done essentially is like built this really big production machine that takes the best of each country to produce the largest free trade area in the world. So um in that in that sense, leverage is like political leverage is not that big because even if Trump was saying like, yeah, I'm gonna cancel NAFTA and I'm gonna do this and that And, and like in reality, there are so many economic interests now because the economy is really interconnected that like this, it goes beyond any political, um, 
leverage. So I, I would say it's difficult for Mexico to get any specific leverage here. What has been happening is that uh, relationships between Biden White House and the Mexican president are worse than with Trump. And this has to do with Trump had a foreign policy of like retracting and trying to get out of any international situations. Uh, but the ones that they were really in the focus of the White House, so Trump would engage with, with North Korea and he was really interested in Iran and, and in Israel. But it wasn't like the typical U.S. foreign policy that that we had been seeing with previous administrations. And Joe Biden, and, and I'm sure Andrew knows more about this, but Joe Biden is a really experienced foreign policy person. So he knows stuff about everyone. So he knows what's going on in Mexico and Central America and South America and Africa and because he has been working that in the Senate for years. And that translates to you have people in the White House now that really know stuff about how to engage with other countries. And the Mexican president doesn't like that because now they have a U.S. president that is actually pushing on issues that are difficult for the Mexican president to talk about. For example, press freedom. There's a press freedom problem in Mexico. And it's sort of an inconvenient truth that nobody wants to speak about. But then, like, with the new White House, then you have people from the State, State Department actually saying, like, hey, the situation for journalists in your country has deteriorated massively in the past three years. What is going on, guys? Like, you're our neighbors. Like, mm-hmm. we, we cannot have, like, right. not, free, not free press because that's not how it works. Yeah. So these issues are making it for a comp- more complex relationship. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, I mean, going back to what uh, we were talking about the other day, uh, which is actually related to this, because uh, as you say, you know, this this president has started with an agenda of anti-corruption, and now things, however, don't seem to be going the way they should, and and things seem to actually become more difficult and 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 less effective. But on the other hand, we have seen, and this is actually has been reported widely on the news uh, that uh, the, the kind the way in which the Obrador is uh, employing the military uh, in uh, uh, in the in dealing yes with the pandemic we have seen with immigration uh, but um, increasingly in the in the kind of in, in general um, services or to, for the for the achievement of projects that are, are usually civilian in nature so. Um, why do you think there has been this uh, shift toward this mil- militarization? To what extent do you think this is a, you know, this to where, um, to which point is it? Can we say there is militarization of state apparatus, and and where do you see this going? That's a really good question. Uh, yes, the military have been more and more involved with this government in things they shouldn't be doing, or at least in my view, they shouldn't be doing. Because now, basically, the military is running uh, public safety in, in all of Mexico, and they're in control of the ports and customs, and they're in control now of, of uh, parts of airports, and they're building the new Mexico City airport, and they're building a train in southern Mexico. Uh, and now they, they got, like, all the responsibility for handling the rollout of vaccines. It's 100% done by the military. So, um, yeah, the military is getting more and more involved. 
And it's sort of a million dollar question of like, why is, 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 if, is Amber involved in the military that much? And I would say there are like two schools of thought there. One of them says it's because he wants to hold power. So if things go south in some years and he's not happy with, with the way the democratic system runs and he feels he's going to lose, he might try to grab power. So that's a, and this is like the Mexico is becoming into Venezuela sort of train of thought. The other harsh. option, that's, that's really harsh. And I would say like really, really, like you need to make a lot of assumptions for this thing to yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. What I think, and this is like the other big trend is that AMLO in his mind truly believes that everyone else who is not the military is either corrupt or an incompetent or both. So he really trusts in the military getting things right. And for him, there's no way the military can be corrupt because they're the military and they're like the most trusted institution for him. And there's no way the military are going to mess up because they're the military guys and they know what they do. So AMLO, who is a deep, deep nationalist, has this idea of, of a militant Mexico waving flags all over. I have nothing against flags, but, but like, <laughs> like people waving flags all over the place with the military and, and people praising the military because AMLO has like this idea of the, like the Mexico in the 1960s and 1970s who had a really tough stance, for example, with the US and, and at that time in history, the Mexican government was a bit closer with the Soviet Union. So there was like this idea of we're going, we go against the US, mm-hmm. but we're also non-aligned because we're independent and, and like this tendency. And that's why he also hates private sector being involved in anything so for him if anyone's making a profit out of something he thinks it's bad and the profits are a way of stealing except, for, except when he's making profit exactly like if he's if he's making money then that's good and he has said for example i, I told you that the military is building a train and it's building an airport and amlo has said like oh yeah the profits that we're going to have from that they're going to go straight to the military they're not going to go to the like the public purse and then make the treasury like solve the budget no 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 it's not going to go to the like congress to approve in the budget those things are going to go straight to the military which with which a um is technically legal the congress mm-hmm. needs to approve how funds are allocated but he says like i don't care and i'm just going to do it so yeah he's he has like a big trust in the military and the military are getting involved like more more emboldened just this week the Secretary of the Navy said in a press conference that in his view, the real enemy is in the judicial system, not in the criminals. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. Thank um, you so much. And no, uh, Thanks for having me. This was this was absolutely great to talk about. I'm always happy to talk about Mexico. I just feel that, I mean, we've been saying a lot of difficult tough stuff in mexico uh but even with its troubles i would say it's a great it's a great country and and any any country is greater than its politicians so yeah uh, absolutely <laughs> we'll visit we'll visit um definitely that's on the list anyway thank you very much and um good night good good day to andrew and good night to to you guys all right take care all Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.